The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Corey? <laughs> uh, oh. I'm okay. <laughs> I am the worst cat mom ever. Oh, how come? Um, my husband has a really bad habit of not closing the closet door in the hallway. Ah. So he didn't close the closet door, and we're eating dinner, and I just hear scratch, 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 scratch. Mabel had been locked in the hallway closet since 8.30 this morning until almost 7. She was probably just sleeping in there, though, right? Like I That's mean... what Bill said. She's like, she was probably sleeping. I don't care. I, like, you know, she didn't, you know, she didn't. I don't, okay. You know, we hang out a lot. I have to be a lot. I don't know how she didn't... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and no access to water or food. Horrible. Well, my cat, Bella, does that all the time. Uh, usually, Kathy will let her in the closet when she's getting ready. She doesn't necessarily let her in, but, you know, she'll... She sneaks uh, in. Well, in the past, Bella was getting really pushy about it and, like, would stand in front of the closet, like, looking at it. <laughs> and Kathy oh, yeah. would let her in. Uh, but for a while, yeah, it was her sneaking in, and then she's in there all day because we're both at work, and she's usually fine. Um, so you're, she's probably fine. But cats are so weird. They are. They like that isolation. Um, Me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> um, what day did we record last week? We recorded last on week. Was yeah, it we recorded Tuesday? Wednesday, right? Or Tuesday, okay. Wednesday. Something it was like one that. of those early. It was days. early, so it's been a, it's been a while. Is what I'm getting at for what what we've been watching because that's why I'm like. Wait, how long ago? Um, yeah, it's it's. I got more movies than I realized. I'm not going to talk about each in depth, but uh, we'll talk about several, um, especially some of the the bad ones and a couple of the really good ones um, that I've seen since we last recorded. But Corey, do you know what tomorrow is? Um, it's um, hmm, hmm. I just know that I'm going to uh, the record store day listening party, and I'm going to try to win one of the first five spots in line so I don't have to wake up at, like, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh. Uh, is Hereditary getting a wide release? No, not not for months. Um, no, Corey. <sighs> I get up and get on a plane and fly to <gasps> oh, New York. Yeah! Um, I'm, go- I'm going with uh, our editor, David Ortega, um, to Tribeca. Um, earlier this week... David and I recorded a preview episode of what we're going to be planning on seeing at Tribeca. Um, the big thing, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I already saw Tully. Um, I saw yes. Tully at the Florida Film Festival, but <gasps> tomorrow night... At Someone's going to be there talking. Jason Reitman, the director, is going to be there talking, and I am very, very yeah. excited. We have um, we got critic comps into the show. It's a ticket purchase only, but we got an email with um, a critic code to get in for free, and the other $40 tickets... That we're getting in for free uh, to to see the movie and then hear Jason Reitman do a Q and A. So I'm very excited. Um, I'm a huge fan of Juno, which he directed. So um, it's it's a I'm excited. I'm very excited. It's the first time I told my students something and they actually seemed impressed. Like this is my third film festival in the last two months, and they could like they don't seem like they get it. And I was like, hey guys, you know Juno, which we watched in class last year. Um, 
And they're like, yeah. I don't know, Juno. Did you give them, like, threatening eyes? Like, Oh, no, they knew it. They knew it. They're like, yeah. I'm like, uh, the director from Juno is going to be at his new movie tomorrow night that I'm going to be in the same room with him. They're like, oh, wow. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. They got they were Finally. excited about that. So um, I think that was, like, maybe the first time they grasped, like, the like the level of the festivals that I'm going to. Um, like, famous people are at these. You know, people who made the movies are actually there trying to promote their movies. So it's cool. Um, but yeah, David and I are super stoked. Uh, we did a, a hour long preview episode. We talked about, I think, thirteen movies or something like that um, that we're planning on watching over the next uh, four days. Where we we arrive at like noon tomorrow, and it's supposed to be oh, raining. Nice. Well, it's supposed to rain till about four tomorrow, but then it's supposed to be cold for the next four days. Um, like I think the low is thirty eight, and the high is sixty for the next four days. Uh, coming from like Florida weather, which has been. The low has been like 50, actually, but then the high is like 88, so it's like, you know, cold in the morning, really hot at night, but we're going to be in New York for four days, um, well, I guess five five nights, no, four nights and four full days, so we get there about 12.30 tomorrow, our movies start about five by the time we get settled in and everything, we have two movies tomorrow night, um, and then we get up early on Friday and we hit a bunch of critic screenings and we go to a few of the general sessions at night. Um, Saturday, we're just doing critic screenings and then one really late general session, but we're going to have a lot of time in between to go explore New York a bit on Saturday. Oh, jelly. Yep. Sunday Sunday is super exciting because we're going to see The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which was a Sundance jury uh, Grand Jury Prize winner. Um, it stars Chloe Grace Moretz and Sasha, ba- Sasha Lane. Sasha Banks is a wrestler. Sha- Sasha Lane is the actress um, who was in American Honey and also uh, Hearts Beat Loud, which is a film I loved at the Florida Film Festival. So... I'm very excited about seeing that Sunday night. We also will see a bunch of other movies Sunday. Monday, looks like we're just taking the day to do tourist stuff. And then we got to be back at the airport about 5 o'clock. So, um, and we were not supposed to get home until about 10.30 Monday night. And then we both, I think we both took Tuesday to recoup because we're not going to get home until after midnight. So we're we're playing it smart. Um, Not trying to go to work like, you know, not, there's no jet lag per se because it's the same time zone, but... It's you know, still tired. It's still several days of not sleeping very much, is my guess. So, and Dave and I will do a couple of uh, bonus podcasts, just kind of talking about our experiences at New York and with Tribeca. Um, but we're super stoked, and I can't wait. I'm very excited. <laughs> that um, sounds very exciting. My co-host Max is here, so. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, Corey, I, I'm assuming you haven't watched as many things as I've watched. So let's start with you. What have you watched recently? I have just been watching Big Love because they're like 52 or 54 minute episodes. And I can, you know, I, those are easier to fit in than a movie. And I've been working on my paper and stuff. Hmm. So. Well, that's good that you're working on your paper, though. You want to get a good grade on that. Yeah, um, I have seen a bunch of things. Uh, I, I went to the Florida Film Festival. I only was able to go Friday night. I was not able to make it Saturday. Um, but I've watched a few things uh, since then. So here we go. Um, Thursday, I saw Truth or Dare. Uh, the Blumhouse presents Truth or Dare. That movie oh. sucks. Don't see it. <laughs> it looked so bad. And I'm like, why? Uh, I saw the trailer uh, before A Quiet Place. Yeah. I've seen it before, everything, but I cannot believe Blumhouse put their name in front of it. Uh, it's not a, like the 100% official, but like all the marketing and the posters, it's Blumhouse Truth or Dare, and I'm like, you guys are a good Even studio. Even the trailer yeah. says that. And Ugh. I don't, like, to me, I'm like, I want my name as far away from this movie as possible. It is bad in almost every regard. 
Um, it's an interesting premise, but they do not execute, and it it it's also boring. Like I could, if it was a fun, like wacky, zany, crazy, you know, Final Destination type like murder sequences, it would have been at least like fun to sit through. But it wasn't even that. It was PG thirteen on top of it, and it's just yeah. On the other I... hand, oh go ahead. Oh go ahead. No no please. Um, well, I was going to say, well, don't worry, because in, like, three years, it'll be remade, so... Oh, I'm sure. Um, well, in my uh, film class, my second-year students, which is technically they're the Film One students because they start with this program called Visual Tech, uh, we are doing a horror movie study, and so we watched The Ring um, from 2002, which I have not seen since, like, 2003, and I didn't love it when I watched it in 2003. I like it a whole lot more now. Um, I really appreciate it a lot. I've become a big fan of Naomi Watts since then, so that helps. Yeah. Um, but then uh, Friday night, um, Taylor and I went to the Florida Film Festival. I got to take her uh, because her plans kind of fell through, so I opted to like bring her, and that ruined my Saturday because I couldn't go two nights in a row because of, I'm going to New York this week. Um, so I, I wasn't able to see as many movies, but we did see two. Uh, we saw The Godfathers of Hardcore, which is a documentary which she liked a lot. Uh, it's about a band called Agnostic Front that was started in like 1980, and they still play now. They're really uh, old school hardcore band um, and it's really focused on two of the guys uh, I enjoyed it but I also as a filmmaking as a filmmaking study uh, there's a lot of problems with his presentation of the information it seems very erratic and unorganized and that bugged me it may have been by design because hardcore music kind of yeah. doesn't follow structure um, but I, I didn't care for the way he... I feel like there was a clear narrative. In my review, I really go into detail with what I think it should have been. And, of course, it's his, his, his art, but it's my my perspective. I don't like the way he presented it. Um, but, again, my daughter really liked it. And I did, I did like the characters... Or, not the characters, but the, the singer and the guitar player from the band are really cool. They have really cool personalities. Very easy to get into. And we did listen to the band on the way home because we were that, you know, intrigued oh, I, by it. I, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But then, after that, we went and saw Ghost Stories. Uh, Corey, you were going to love this movie, I hope. Because if you don't, I'll be very disappointed. I get so worried when you guys say that. But sometimes, you're right on. Yeah, well, this... I read about it. It's a horror anthology. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. I read just a little snippet of it, I think. Um, I think that, like, how somehow the emails come through and you can like see a little piece of the review or uh -huh. something yeah yeah or maybe it was on facebook or something some way that you shared it and i saw that you said that it was an anthology kind of like i think you said twilight zone i think i went tales from the crypt tales from the crypt um but i'm hyped about that and somebody else said that they just saw that and they liked it that um, when we did the draft yeah matt went that day um matt from what i watched tonight um he went and saw he also loved it uh we both have had some love from the filmmakers um there's two directors credited, and one of the directors is the star. Uh, that director and star uh, retweeted Matt's uh, post. And then the uh, production company, which is IFC uh, Midnight, I think, um, which, you know, IFC, the independent film channel, um, the composer and the other director retweeted mine, um, like that I posted like a day or two before. So we both got some some traction from our reviews of that movie but we both really loved it martin freeman is great um have you seen the end of the effing world on netflix no you need to first of all um but the 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 there's two teenagers in that show uh one is a great actress i think jesse barton is her name and i cannot remember the actor's name but he is also in ghost stories and he is phenomenal in ghost stories but i was scared i laughed 
I mean, I, I just had a great time with that movie. So I cannot stress okay. how much fun I had with that. To me, that's what horror... That's the type of horror I really get into because I'm, I'm scared, but I'm also having a great time. It's like Evil Dead 2 to me. Like, I just... Or I'm like... Generally, generally terrified at times, but then also laughing. Or you going to say Housebound. Yes. Which that one's more of a like straight comedy mixed with horror. Well, but it's a straight horror. Times I was like... Oh, yeah. No. I, I guess... I guess you're right, actually. That is the same tone, and I, that's why I love Housebound so much. Um, in fact, So wh- everyone, go watch Housebound right now. Uh, Matt tagged me in this post the other day, which I tagged you in, and I didn't see you respond on Twitter, by the way. But it was, it was supposed oh, to be posted. Oh, I post- don't Twitter much. You need to. You, uh, it said to um, post a random horror gif, and I posted a Housebound gif. That was the first place my brain went, was Housebound. So, <laughs> yes. Um, I watched a very unfortunate screener because uh, unfortunate because I think it's it's not very good or it's so good that I don't understand it called Aardvark that stars John Hamm, Jenny Slate and Zachary Quinto. Uh, the performances were good, but the film just fell real flat for me. And there's the, the actors are great. they are and the actors are great. They They do great, I guess, given the material. It's the. The, even the logline is incomprehensible. I don't. I don't think I've ever quoted a logline from IMDb or like the plot synopsis, and I had to because I, it's it's maddening. Because the movie's called Aardvark, and the opening of the movie you see an Aardvark, and then you see an owl, and then you see an Aardvark again, and then later in the movie you see that Aardvark again, and then you see a kid watching the Aardvark, and it is very clear who that kid is supposed to be later or whatever. Like there's no. I'm not confused by that. What I'm confused is the correlation we're supposed to get. And one might say, well, maybe there isn't a correlation. Maybe he just liked that animal. Oh, no, because the logline says the aardvark has evolved to be one of the world's most unique animals. And so is Zachary Quinto's character. I can't remember the character's name. It says the character name. And I'm like, what? What makes him unique? It's it is so out there. Again, it could be that it's so brilliant that I just can't understand it or it's just really bad. I'm going to go with bad. I don't know for sure. Moving on. Um, I then went and saw Rampage later that day, which did not get the dirt, the, the bad taste of Aardvark out of my mouth. Um, I I didn't have fun with the movie. Um, a lot of people are having fun with it. I had fun with uh, with George is the name of the ape that becomes really big. I really like George. I found him uh, to be fun. They did some fun stuff with him. Um, and I like The Rock fine, but I don't. I don't know. I was bored through the middle of the movie. Like, it just dragged. And it's not even that long, but it, it felt like a drag. Oh, that's Yeah. And I'm, I am powering through these just because I have a few more to go, and I don't want to sit here for 30 minutes talking uh, exclusively. So um, I did watch a stand-up special that one of my students recommended. Do you know who uh, John Mulaney is? Um, he was just on uh, Saturday Night Live with my boy Jack White. Correct. I um, don't really know him though well he was a writer for saturday night Live for a long time and his stand-up is starting to become really popular he has a new stand-up special coming out in may on netflix but he has two of them already on netflix uh the one i watch is called john mulaney the comeback kid from 2015 um he is great he is i'm a big fan of stand-up anyways but mulaney he's got a very unique character he's funny um there's just he's got he's got something he's got a very unique presence and i i enjoyed it very much um then I went on a documentary binge because my other class, my first year students, are uh, studying documentaries and they're going to be making a mini documentary, um, or at least I'm hoping they're going to be making a mini documentary. Uh, and <laughs> so um, I watched a few in preparation for possible uh, movies for them. And Corey, oh my God, have you heard of Life in a Day? 
No. So this was a documentary made in 2011, um, or it came out in 2011. I guess it was made in 2010. So on, I think, July 24th in 2010, they asked everybody across the world, if they wanted to, to film their life in a day, in 24 hours. And then submit their footage, and then uh, I'm assuming a massive team of editors, because it's you know an undertaking, uh, pieced it together and made this documentary where they show life in a day, like but life of a bunch of different people all over the world, and it's pretty compelling at times, and then it's horrifying at times. Um, and horrifying is is definitely subjective here, but Corey, have you ever seen a C-section? Do you know that I never want to have babies, and that is one of the reasons. We won't even talk about placenta or anything else. Um, My God, Corey. I, I knew what a C-section to. was, but not. I had to see one, and I didn't know. <laughs> no. There, yeah. there's, I have to say, one of the impressive things about the movie is that the editors found so many common things throughout the uh, the different videos that they were able oh. to do kind of like packages like so there's one on birth right um Bro. there's the only birth from a human is the c-section but there's like a giraffe giving birth and there's something else giving birth and it's kind of cool it's also horrifying for me again i understand um some people think that's great or whatever i never cool. want to see a c-section um and i will I say don't... go ahead I just need to tell you that in ninth grade, I was in, or maybe it was 10th grade, I was in honors biology, and we had to watch a video of a woman giving birth. Yeah, I've seen and that And is it the one where she, like, <laughs> like goes catapulting against the ta- across the table oh, I don't for, like, know. five minutes, and there's, like, you've never heard of a lady being in labor for five minutes? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember enough. I remember being horrified when I saw that, but I think I was in, like seventh or eighth grade when i had to watch that video and it was it was traumatizing then um but uh i will say the guy who's filming his wife's c-section um he passes out while holding the camera (laughs) me and it's pretty great because like you hear doctors like oh my god and like hold his legs like it's oh my god that's so great yeah um that part's pretty funny there's actually it's a really cool documentary um, I think it's the music is pieced together. They do a lot of like natural music where they use different sounds from the videos to make like a rhythm, and it's pretty cool. cool. Like it's it's really well made, and it's actually free to watch on YouTube because it was YouTube uh, produced, and Ridley Scott's actually one of the producers as well. Um, so it's it, if you got an hour and a half, uh, search Life in a Day on YouTube, and it's it's right there. You can watch it. Um, then I watched on Monday, uh, which this is one my kids are officially watching, actually starting tomorrow. Um, it's called Prom Night in Mississippi. You ever hear of this documentary, Corey? Um, is that the one where they were still having mm-hmm. segregated proms and only like a couple years ago, right? Or maybe uh, it was one year ago. It's 10 years ago. Um, by coincidence. Yeah, it's already been 10 years since this came out. But um, Morgan Freeman offered to pay for the school in M- Mississippi's prom if they would finally, in 2007, uh, se- integrate because they have been segregated as prom like they've been an integrated high school since 1970 but have had a black prom and a white prom every year since then and so morgan freeman offered to pay for the prom if they would finally integrate and they said no (sighs) the next year he offered again and they finally said yes and that's where the documentary is um and oh man there is some stuff in this documentary that will irritate so much it was um i thought i told my daughter about it but apparently i hadn't 
and uh, I started. I was watching it while I was cooking because I was. I wasn't watching it for like reviewing. I was watching it to make sure um, it wasn't going to be too tough for my kids to watch. Like I didn't know how bad the language was going to get. And I have permission slips for all these, but still, like there are some things where I, I'd rather not always push the boundary of, of what I think they can comfortably tolerate. Like I don't want to like bring up a overly heated issue where it's going to like cause too much tension in the room. Um, because that's not why we're watching it. Like, if that's what I was going for, if I'm looking to debate and if I'm looking to get into that, um, maybe. But um, it's not. It's actually really – it's definitely infuriating, but I feel like it's done really well where most people are, are going to be more upset with the people in the movie than with others watching it, I hope. Um, but uh, – so I was cooking, and when dinner was ready, it was still on, and, and Taylor came out, and she, she gets – pretty riled up about racism and stuff like that so like when she heard what one of the parents said like she was like what and then she ended up sitting and watching most of it until it does kind of become Ooh. a little more mundane towards the end because once you get to the prom everything's kind of cool at the prom it was the build-up to it that has a lot of the tension and the more intriguing aspects of it um the the last probably 20 minutes is just like watching kids at a prom and it, it wasn't as exciting or I don't want to say exciting, but you know, you're like, there are moments of people who will irritate you, but then you hear some of these kids talk and you get really like proud. Like there's this one kid who uh, chose to, to disguise his face. Like he's the only one who's like in silhouette when he's talking, but man, he's, he spouts some words of wisdom that I was so impressed with. And you, you just know his parents completely don't agree with, that's why he's not showing his face. Um, or at least that's the assumption that I'm making, but I was so impressed with some of the things he uttered that it, it as much as the parents um, and even some of the staff at the school irritated me with what they said, that kid restored my hope, you know? So I was like, okay, well, at least there's that. All right, one more. And I know you've, I know you've heard of this one. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, for the first time, finally watched Bowling for Columbine. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I watched uh, that a while ago. I'm not really a fan of Michael Moore. No, sorry. I, I, I'm not either. He's very, he's, I don't like a lot of his tactics and how he presents his information. Uh, on that note, I agree with a lot of the things he's pointing out to a degree. I don't necessarily agree with how he does it. And I don't like anybody posing information as fact when it's clearly, uh, con, you know, conjecture. Um, mm -hmm. And... I also don't think he needed to ambush Charlton Heston at the end of the movie. I feel like Heston is wrong, and I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the way Heston does things, but I, I didn't like the way he ambushed him. Um, and uh, there are some frustrating things about that whole ending of the movie. But um, I did watch it, and I didn't realize... I had forgotten that Columbine happened on 420, so we're like two days away oh, shoot. from the 19-year anniversary of Columbine next year will be 20 years since it happened and that's mind-blowing oh to God. me for two reasons one because I was a junior in high school when that happened about to be a senior which means that I've been out of high school for that freaking long and then um that we are still having a lot of the same debates that we were having in 1999 after Columbine happened uh and that was the most eye-opening part because the documentaries I think 2001 or 2000 it's gotta be 2002 when it came out because there's there's footage of the the plane striking the twin towers um which is really exciting to see when i'm about to fly to new york but um 
I and I'm being sarcastic if that wasn't clear. I it was I didn't know that would be in a documentary about Columbine, so it really it was like, oh, thanks for reminding me. Um, but uh, it, it's 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 compelling. There's a lot of stuff in the documentary where I was really in a, it, you know taken in, but also quickly remembering how biased it is and how Michael Moore's style is. But it's one that it's one of the more famous documentaries I think that have come out. Um, and I, I do I like parts of it I definitely wouldn't say I like I don't recommend everybody watch it or anything like that because it's definitely um, I do think if you I think everyone should watch it but I think you should watch it knowing that it's very skewed towards one argument um, I was shocked though that I was expecting it to be like anti-gun and it's really like anti-media not anti-gun um, I would even say it's like it tries to disprove that gun laws are the problem um not at first, but by the end, like when he's pointing out that like, like Canadians have tons of guns and so do all these other countries and they aren't killing at the rate that we're killing with them. So it's clearly not the gun that's the issue. It's us with the guns that's the issue. So why are we so different than all the other places? And then he seems to be pointing to the media causing us to be so afraid of everything else that we lash out with guns. And... um I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. I definitely can see some of the points that he's making. And yet, um, I do know that there is a problem right now. And we it hasn't been fixed in 20 years. And that's that's scary, you know. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that the most recent one is in Florida and killed more people than Columbine did. So, And, I mean, you're a teacher and you yeah. have a daughter who goes to school, yep. you know, like... And what I don't remember how long ago it was, and I feel like I'm going to sound ignorant because I have the worst memory ever, but do you remember when that small um, elementary school? Yes, uh, Sandy Hook. Yeah, and it's just... (sighs) I think that was six or seven years ago because my boss had just started at our school, and um, it really hit hard for all of us, but like she really the fact that it was like small children really really frustrated her i think not that it's right at all no no but it's it just like you know some of these kids are saying they were bullied or this or that and it's like that wasn't an adult (laughs) those were small children the small children were not the ones who bullied him and he might have been bullied but not by them and so yeah i think that's where because not that we justify it when someone's been bullied or whatever that's no by no means what we're saying but Small children represent innocence at a level that is hard to ever disconnect from, you know? Um, they have done... They haven't lived long enough to really do any wrong. So to punish small children is... It just feels so much worse. And again, I think killing anybody is bad. I especially think killing, um, you know, mass amounts of people is really bad. But killing mass amounts of small children is is just unfathomable and it didn't seem like something we would ever witness at at the, in our country and we did and yet we still don't know why these people are are doing this and why it seems to be systemic of america and nowhere else um and that's where michael morris makes i think the most interesting part of the documentary and also i do have to say the part with marilyn manson is really compelling um because it is crazy how they they put the blame on everything but the kids you know like they like they're asking all these random questions and i'm not saying you shouldn't be asking random questions because 
you're trying to make sense out of something that doesn't feel like it's it's logical but man um like to think that because i I've, i'm not like even a fan of marilyn manson necessarily but i definitely don't um i definitely don't blame him like you know what i mean the video like, games or the movies i mean yeah. i can't Especially because I I've listened to metal music I've I've I mean God I've watched some movies man and you know I've played mm-hmm. a lot of violent video games like I I mean I was literally I think eleven when Mortal Kombat came out in the arcade and I was playing it every weekend and doing the fatalities and like you know thinking they were awesome but I also never ripped anybody's head off or tried to you know what I'm saying like it doesn't make it you want to kill nor does <laughs> it de- I don't feel like it desensitizes you. Um, and in a way where, and again, maybe, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but in my experiences, and it just kills me because we've both been watching whatever we want for as long as we've wanted. Yeah. We've had a very lax, like parentage, uh, I think on both of our ends and yeah. Um, but now I think that's enough because this is not a review of, uh, Bowling for Columbine, mind you, but, um, life in general, what else? (laughs) Yeah. Or life in general. But I think it was it was perfect that I watched that. And then the next night I watched the movie that we're about to review, which I didn't say at the top of the show. And I apologize listeners, but, um, we're reviewing, uh, my neighbor Totoro, um, from, uh, man, I, you know what? I had promised myself that I was going to look up how to properly pronounce Hayao Mazaki's name. And I know I didn't, and I'm probably just butchered it. And I've heard it a billion times, but for some reason, every time I look at it, I get intimidated and mm-hmm. I can't say it. So I apologize because I know he is an icon. He is the founder of Studio Ghibli. And most people who like anime or animated movies keep Studio Ghibli at the highest regard. And I've only seen two of the Studio Ghibli films now. Um, but I will say, without giving anything away about My Neighbor Totoro, I love Spirited Away so, so, so much. Um, and it's that movie alone was enough to make me convinced how great... Miyazaki is and uh, that's why I picked this movie for this week we're doing 1980s movies so we have any movie that Corey or I have not seen in the 80s we could do and this was one of the first ones that I pulled um, one because I've already purchased them and I need to watch them but two because I know I need to watch more of Studio Ghibli's films um, and so this one fit right in um, Studio Ghibli, uh, My Neighbor Totoro came out in 1988. It was re-released in America through Disney in 2005 with American voice actors, which is the version that we watched, um, which we'll talk about momentarily who's in it. Cause I was pretty impressed with the, uh, the casting actually. Um, the plots, the plot summary is when two girls move to the country to be near their ailing mother, they have adventures with the wondrous forest spirits who live nearby, has an 86 Metacritic with 15 reviews, 8.2 IMD, IMDb score, and I gotta scroll down just a bit to get the American voice cast, because that is who we, uh, the, the version we watched. Um, we have Dakota Fanning playing, uh, uh, wait, hold on, I wrote this down so I wouldn't screw this one up, and I'm gonna screw it up. Um, what is it, Sasuki? No, it's Satsuki, isn't it? Satsuki, yes, but it's spelled... Satsuki. It looks like Satsuki, like, if you look at the spelling, because it's S-A-T-S-U-K-I, but yes, it is, that sounds closer to uh, the way they pronounced it in the movie. Um, Well, darn, I had a notepad that I just remembered where it is, or I took some notes, but it's not in here, so never mind. And then uh, Satsuki's sister, May, is played by Dakota Fanning's actual sister, Elle, um which I thought was really great. I didn't know they had worked together on this. 
Um, Tim Del- Tim Daly, uh, Pat Carroll, Leah Salana- Salonga, and Frank Welker, which Frank Welker is a big voice actor. Um, I don't know if you know who he is, but he does the voice of Totoro, which is arguably not a voice, right? Like, it's more like noises, and he does the sounds of Cat Bus. But Frank Welker is uh, the iconic voice behind Optimus... Oh, I'm wrong. Uh, Shockwave sound... He does a lot of the Transformer voices in the movie. Sorry, I started going off. I thought he was somebody else, though. Uh, but he does a lot of voice acting. Uh, he's listed as Megatron. I mean, the dude does voice acting in, like, everything, like, major. Um, he's Megatron from last night. I thought he was Optimus Prime, but clearly I'm wrong, so I must have thought of somebody else. Um, but So he's the voice of, of Totoro and Kappas um, in this movie. And then uh, there's Paul Butcher is... Uh, the young boy's voice, I, uh, I Kanta, Kanta, I feel like that's wrong too, I feel like the spellings here are off from what they, how they are pronounced in the movie, but it could also just be my lack of time, and I do apologize, I had planned on, and then my day got away from me, I had a, um, I had just had a lot to do before leaving on my trip tomorrow, so, uh, time got away from me, and here we are, um, Corey, uh, I think we'll start with you, what did you think of My Neighbor Totoro from 1988? Um, I just want to go into spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. I think that if I would have grown up with it, I would appreciate it more. Mm. And it would probably be pretty beloved. Um, I found something very terrifying about this movie we can talk oh. about that in a minute so. okay okay uh i enjoyed it i liked it i want to see more of the films from studio ghibli but i feel like this probably isn't their strongest one is this your first one yeah okay so you you haven't seen spirited away yet no that's uh that's and definitely I have one House moving castle i bought i have house moving castle i have princess mononoke um and I have two more, and I'm not thinking what they... Oh, I have uh, the one Mike has been rep- talking about forever, um, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, and then I have one more that is also one of the more iconic ones, and then Spirited Away, um, with Spirited Away being the only one I'd seen other than this one. Um, I like this one as well. I do think uh, it's definitely geared more towards a younger audience. Um, mm-hmm. I have to say, though, I, I uh, Totoro is a figure that i've known of for a while because he's like all over like if you go to hot topic back in the, oh, yeah. when we when we were at fye we had totoro stuff like one is from 1988 so it's been around but it's we still didn't like know who, what we were selling you but no we got it. <laughs> but i've always thought it looked kind of cool and mm-hmm. i really like totoro like i was like even though i'm a, a grown man i was like okay i see why people like this so much like he's there's just something about the character that's really charming he's sweet um, there's like a mystery about him at first, but then he really like steps up to the game and I really, I was, I definitely liked the character a whole lot. Um, as, as a, you know, it's not, it's not like there's a lot of character development, but I just like the character. I like the way it looks. I like the, uh, the style. Um, I like some of the, the sequences with him, the, we won't get, it's not a spoiler, but there's a scene where he's standing next to, uh, Satsuki, um, when, and she hands him an umbrella and I, I love that scene so much like i thought it was so fun and uh i really did enjoy the movie i i don't i don't think the plot is as interest intricate or as interesting as what you get in spirited away um where spirited away is still it's a there's actually 
I will talk in spoilers of some of the similarities between the two films without spoiling Spirited Away for you. Um, but there is there is a lot of similarities. One of the things... I've only watched two movies, as noted, but both of the ones I've watched have uh, female young girls in the lead, which I find to be very refreshing. I think that is something you don't see in enough... I guess that's not true. There's so many, like, Disney princesses and stuff, but that's... These are literally just regular kids, you know? Yeah, and they're always princesses. In the other movies. Yes. Yes, yeah. They're always rich and royalty. And these these kids, um, they don't say they're poor, but they're very clearly struggling. Um, The dad's a professor, so in my eyes, teacher means no money. Um, The mom's in the hospital, so that is... Uh, definitely a strain on the finances their house is like almost falling apart that they're moving into um, they don't they don't have a car you know they they have to take they take i guess what like the equivalent of a taxi at first and then they ride the bus or they ride a bike which could be normal for i don't know exactly what time period this is set in it's definitely <laughs> older good i was gonna say that i didn't know until i was reading on my bff wikipedia that Apparently, it takes place in 1958, but I don't remember that being said anywhere in the movie, but that uh, doesn't yeah. mean that it wasn't said. True, and I, I, it's also possible that it's just not translated well or something, where, like, maybe it was said, but, um, the, uh, but, yeah, so, you know, th- there's a lot of love in this movie, though, there's a lot about love, um, and so there's, I think the plot's simplistic because I think the target audience is definitely younger. Um, and so that's where I feel like it, I think if we had watched Princess Mononoke, which I don't know what year that came out, that might be in the nineties spirited away. Even although it is uh, a kid, there's a lot. I think you'll love spirited away because of how much you love Alice in Wonderland. There's definitely some similarities, not that he's necessarily trying to, I think there's some similarities in this movie to Alice in Wonderland too, actually. Um, which I know that, uh, friend of the show um uh may disagree as i've upset people in the past by comparing alice in wonderland to animated uh movies but to me if there is a young girl that follows an animal into a other world it's gonna pull alice in wonderland feelings to me and uh there is the scene where may follows the small versions of totoro the the uh the nature spirits into a tunnel of trees and winds up into Totoro's like big tree. And I, I know we're not in spoilers, but I don't feel like this is a spoiler per se, but that that moment reminds me very much of an Alice in Wonderland type thing. You know, uh, she, yeah. And while Totoro isn't defined as what he is, he definitely resembles a cat and a rabbit to me, like yeah. merged together. Um, so I don't know. That's how, that's where I went with that. And that's, I think where I found a lot of joy in the movie is, the kids. What happened? I feel like you should text me who got upset that you compared something to oh. Alice in Wonderland. Um, it, it's been a while now, but when I first watched Coraline... Um, oh, it was a friend or not a friend? He, I would say at the time he was an acquaintance. And I mean, we, we haven't like hung out much, so I guess saying friend would be too generous. But uh, we have we have talked since the uh, he was not happy with my review of Coraline. Um, oh. And we are, we are definitely cool. And I would I, I want to say friend because I am I'm one of those people who like jump to friend probably too fast. You know, it's like I've met someone three times and I'm like friend uh, where realistically that's probably not enough to say friend. But um, I, I want to clarify, I'm not saying he's not my friend. I'm just saying that we've only hung out at movies like four times, maybe total, maybe five. 
And um, I think three of those have been since... No, four of those have been since the uh, Coraline review. So we're cool. And in no way am I, like, talking crap or anything like that. But um, I do know that he... One of the things that he pointed out was that there's nothing in common of Coraline and Alice in Wonderlands, which I still disagree with. Um, I stand by you. I also think, though, that maybe... Um, he he was making the assumption that I was referring to Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, and a lot of people confuse Coraline as a Tim Burton film because of the similar art style to Nightmare Before Christmas, which Tim Burton did not direct either, but people always think he did because it's Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but Henry Selleck directed both of those, and that's why the art style is the same. And I do know that. And my comparison was not Tim Burton's style, it was the story structure of Alice in Wonderland and Coraline that a girl follows an animal into a hole and ends up in another world. That was my comparison. So, um, and that's my comparison for both this movie and Spirited Away, in fact. Slightly different for Spirited Away. It's not a hole per se, but definitely similar of a, a girl c- kind of wandering into another world on accident. Um, but I think that's, uh, we're both positive on the film. I think, uh, we both agree it's meant for a younger audience though and it, if we had watched it when we were kids i could totally see being like a, a fanboy. Yeah. yeah um just because of the wonder because it is it's pure joy i would say because even like the uh that's what i'm saying because like, i watched bowling for columbine the day before which was kind of i i teared up during the uh they show security footage of columbine high school um in the movie and that i teared up a lot during that sequence because it was just just crazy to, to see and then being a teacher and being a parent it it was a lot and so watching a movie like this the next day was a really nice way to end my movies this week um i needed something joyous you know what i mean yeah so uh I, and i'm glad about that but i think it's time to get to spoilers and i always have to yawn or cough at the worst times ah. okay <laughs> guys because i'm 87 um i look really good for my age happy birthday uh, <laughs> thank you um <laughs> we are going to spoil uh my neighbor totoro so you can go watch it or full speed ahead we're going to be talking about it in great detail you've been warned I know you worded it like you always do, but the, because of the name of this movie, you're like, we're going to spoil my neighbor Totoro. Like, we're going to take them to get, like, a Manny Petty later. And then, like, yeah. Um, come on, Totoro. You, let's go get a Manny Petty together. Um, so, right. you said you wanted to get to spoilers. So, what do you got to, uh, to talk about? I just want to say that um, I feel like. There's no way to say this nicely. <laughs> what was with the cat bus? It was yeah. terrifying. It was terrifying. It was <laughs> terrifying. Like if I, even as an adult, I was a little disturbed. And like the cat doesn't and shows up and comes to a screeching halt, and somehow it just has random windows in its body, and it can just you know lower and bring back up its flesh <laughs> yeah you know these girls can just you know sit inside of the cat's innards and you know go for a ride so okay <laughs> i was reminded um well i don't know if you ever watched avatar the last airbender um uh, the, the that everybody hated the card no everybody loves the cartoon everybody hates oh, m night Shyamalan's it? movie um oh, was that live action it was yeah, so long it's so okay. bad um the cartoon is fantastic and ang uh sorry yeah, Ang, that's the right name. Ang is how M. Night Shyamalan pronounced it and that people nitpicked. 
Um, although I think that would be more accurate to the cultures uh, uh, represented in the show. But nonetheless, um, Aang has a uh, bison called Appa who has like uh, six legs and flies and is essentially a bus. But it doesn't have like you're not inside of it. You ride it like, you know, there's a saddle, that kind of thing. And it kind of reminds me of Cat Bus in some regard, except Cat Bus was weird. Like it's it's the weirdest part of this movie, to say the least are its headlights yeah well no it also has did you notice that on the top of the bus there were two more lights they were mice i know (laughs) i was like or i guess rats i don't know somehow it had a little like i don't know what they're called on buses or public transport where it like changes for the next stop destination yeah yeah i don't know if there's there's got to be a proper name for that but i don't know what it is or a cat yeah, well, it's not a cat. It's a cat bus, Corey. Ten legs. Actually, I think it might have had sixteen. I think Bill counted. Oh wow! Oh, Bill watched this with you. Yeah, I was oh. like, I was, I was like, oh well, I have to watch this movie, and I really feel like you should watch it with me. And he did, and he really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's, it's great. Um, he said that um, it exactly just like pure like being a kid and just imagination, and. Yeah totally agree but cat bus was a little terrifying as a self-proclaimed cat lady i found it absolutely terrifying (laughs) i mean but i did find it also endearing you know i mean like like when we first see it it's really crazy but when it helps the little girl when it helps satsuki find her sister may and then it takes may and her to see their mom i i love the little interaction with it like it's so kind and sweet um it is it kind of uh also does remind me of cheshire a little bit um the look, you know, like the big smile and stuff, even though it's because it's stretched out over a butt. <laughs> so weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I was like, really? It's flash just like lowering at like at the yeah. door. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know why it had to be a butt. Why couldn't it have been a giant cat? I don't understand. But, yeah, um, with or a cat even driving a bus. Like it's, that would be so rad. Then it's like the, the busy world of Richard Scary. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but still. Oh my god, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but uh, I was really impressed with the young Dakota Fanning and uh, Elle Fanning in this movie. I thought they did a great job with the overdub voice casting, um, or voice acting, excuse me. And uh, I, I was, you know, since we're talking about things that creeped us out, and I know this might be just modern, old school, but the bath scene freaked me out a little bit too. Uh, yeah, that was a little strange. Now again, different cultures, different time period, but uh, a dad with two daughters. Um, I understand you got to bathe your kids. I get that. You know, I bathed Taylor when she was younger, and at a certain point, I stopped. You know, she was starting to grow up. But he's sitting butt naked in the bathtub with the little girl, and I don't know if other people are that free about their junk with their daughters. I can say with absolute certainty that my daughter has never seen my junk. So. That might be just my preference, but in today's world, that feels wrong. Like to sit, like I, I don't think I ever had to take a bath with her. But if I had to, I would have wore a bathing suit. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, different time, different culture. I am not totally passing judgment, but it was like I'm like this scene's creepy. I don't like. It. <laughs> like uh, yes, and I noticed that too. And it's like right in the beginning of the movie, and you're like, what? Yeah. Well. You know, and again, I get it. Yeah. They needed to take a bath, but it didn't make me feel any less like. And it, 
Okay, what are the little fuzzy black things? Um, I like those. Initially called suit gremlins, and then told we we're told they're soot sprites. Um, which I want to point out, that's one of the things they have in common with Spirited Away. Those things are in Spirited Away. I did not know what they were called, but I confirmed um, 100% that they are the same creatures. And uh, uh, the important detail, when they find the soot sprites initially, they're in the bathhouse, which is like a separate room in the back of the house. And a major part of Spirited Away is at a bathhouse. Um, now, I don't know if you know what a bathhouse is because we do not have them here. But uh, traditionally, and they still exist in some cultures, um, you would not, you'd go to like, it's almost like a spa day. You go and like to a bathhouse and you get like the royal treatment. You get a fancy bath and you get, you know, like your nails done and all that, um, I think. And that's a major part of Spirited Away. It's half of the setting is at this bathhouse. Um, in a spiritual world, but they are the suit gre- the suit gremlins are there too, and or the suit sprites. Um, so I thought that was a cool connection. I thought the bathhouse element of that kind of put, tied into it. And uh, keep in mind, I think I think Spirited Away is two thousand and one um, or something like that. So there's a big gap between these two movies, but there's a lot of similarities. Um, both deal with spirits, obviously, uh, in the sense of one's called Spirited Away, and the other one is. Um, you know, these are nature spirits, so both deal with spirits in some capacity. Uh, both deal with a little girl. Um, this one's sisters. Uh, Spirited Away is a uh, only child, but um, still both deal with a young girl as the lead. And both have that Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe where they wander off into a different world. Now, Spirited Away, the whole movie, she's in a different world um, until the end. She she ends up in like the spirit realm. In this movie, it's it's temporary. Uh, they do visit it a couple of times, but it is they they are back in the real world pretty quickly. But um, yeah, sorry, we we started with the soot gremlins or soot things. You like those? I do too. They're very they're cute and uh, kind of unclear what's going on, but you know you get some information about them. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of strange that they kept bringing up the the mother was ill. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean, like. They, and I mean, for the younger audience, that's all that they need to know. Um, yeah. But they just kept talking about it, and oh, mom's coming home. Oh no, she's not coming home. Now she's coming home for the weekend to get used to it, and now she's not. Maybe next weekend. I don't know. And then they cried, and. Well, because they, they got they got concerned that it was worse, you know, like that she's <laughs> dying, and I think from a kid's perspective, that's how they would be talked to, right? They're not told all the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't supposed to get that they, she wasn't coming home because that telegram was for her dad, but she read it, you know, so that's what the, we hear the mom and the dad talking like, I hope we didn't worry them too much. Um, and may, you know, may gets lost trying to bring her mom the corn cause the, the granny, Oh, that's another thing they have in common. Um, I, I'm assuming this is a cultural thing. Um, that the old lady that lives next door, they're told to call her granny, uh, in spirited away the woman who runs the bathhouse tells the girl to call her granny. So it's a common thing. I'm guessing that, um, like out of, it's like a, I wouldn't say you call all older people, your granny or grandpa, but I think it's supposed to be like a, um, title that you're, it's like showing familiarity, like comfort, you know, like saying someone's your granny when they're not actually your granny. It's like a respect friendship thing. I I'm interpreting it that way. Like it's, you know, I'm not your granny, but call me granny because now we're we're gonna help each other. We're gonna be neighborly. Um, it's kind of done mockingly in Spirited Away, though, because the woman is definitely not like this woman is very much like a grandmother. 
uh she treats them like grandkids you know she's very kind to them she tries to take care of them uh that is not entirely accurate in um spirited away but um i i i liked a lot about the film i i uh the the little boy whose name i am butchering kanta cannot oh boy i i am so sorry everybody um you know what i'm talking about though Corey. um Cantu. Is it can't see? There's no. There's an A in the spelling on IMDb, but I, and I maybe they said something different. I wrote stuff down and I left my notepad oh, in the other room. It but, says can Canta. Yeah, but I don't think that's what they said in the movie. That's what I'm saying. Like I think it's it's Canta. If you're looking at IMDb, I think they said something different in the movie. But the kid um, is annoying, and I'm guessing he's just really shy around girls, right? Like he does not know how to talk to them. <laughs> Cause like he get he he's clearly nice because he gives him the umbrella, but like he like shoves it in her face and like runs off like he's he doesn't know how to communicate with girls and it's kind of funny but it's also like stop being weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then he couldn't even tell his mom that he was late or something because they he took them the umbrella. He didn't tell her that he gave. She's like, how do you forget an umbrella? And oh, he's yeah. He doesn't say what he did and it's like, well, dude, your mom would probably like. Her. Yeah, and when she finds out, she seems like shocked that he did that, and um, I don't know. It's it's probably something that is always a challenge with this type of thing. Is one, this is from nineteen eighty eight, and it's set like you're, what we've read is in the fifties, but then it's in a different culture. So there's things that we just don't know. For example, uh, the acorns um, that they keep finding, right? Like, and they're so excited about the acorns, and I'm like okay there has to be some kind of like significance in japan for acorns because here it's just an acorn you know like who cares like oh you found an acorn good good for you um but i'm like they are emphasizing these acorns so so much that it has to be relevant to something and again i had written it down but i'm just gonna research this um because it popped right up uh i found this website with motifs in japanese uh design and art and there's a few things um one when we meet Totoro, uh, there are butterflies flying around. Do you remember that? Um, yes. So in Japanese culture, butterflies carry a number of meanings, but are most closely associated with the symbolism of metamorphosis and transformation. They are closely linked with recently departed spirits and consequently are represented in a number of traditional family crests. And this is from, um, whoop, I have no idea how to pronounce this website, nalatanalata.com. I'm just on a roll tonight, guys. Uh, but so the very last motif they talk about is the acorn. It says the acorn is considered to be an emblem of good luck. There's a popular Japanese pro- proverb involving the acorn. Uh, Dangari no... Okay, why am I even trying? Here's the English uh, translation. Comparing the height of acorns and refers to the notion that they are all alike. Um, and so there's a significance there. And of course the acorns are planted later and they grow that magical tree, which is, I love that little dance sequence, um, with the, the spirits jumping over the, uh, the <laughs> soil and then them all going out there and, and raising this giant tree, which in the next morning, it was a, just a dream. I don't think it was just a dream, but, um, you know, it's, it's back to uh, sprouts and, um, I really like that whole sequence. But the acorns are involved there, and it's the symbolism of growth and and strength, I think, with the oak tree being strong and everlasting. Um, Definitely a connection with nature in this movie. Um, Obviously the nature spirits, but also just the the general idea of, like, respecting nature. Because the girls are kind to Totoro, you know? Like, 
um the, the when may finds him and she just sleeps on his stomach it's so cute you know mm-hmm. but i don't know i i don't i think this movie is like i've watched spirited away several times because i taught it last year after i watched it the first time and so I've studied it, and I there's so many different things you can pull from that. And I feel like even though this movie's geared towards children, there's a lot. If we rewatch it, you can start seeing like what's being said beneath the surface. Because I think um, uh, he's such a amazing filmmaker that he's able to create this work that really speaks to children, but also has deeper, deeper meaning than what is on the surface. And I think there's like uh, he's always been really big on nature and like respecting nature, and that's big um, in this movie for sure. But I don't know. I I really I just find so much happiness with this movie. Like even again, it's it's a simple plot. There is like Corey said about the the mother being sick. We're told a few times, and it's again it's from the kids' perspective. So we only know what the kids would be told, what they would be kept in the loop about. But they know they love their mother and that she's sick and that they're scared that she's going to die. And I think that's, you know, in a way it's an important lesson kind of being taught because um, they are afraid. But they're also like if you're a kid watching this, you're you're kind of seeing you're being informed about the idea of death and like kind of dealing with it, being strong, being brave um not being afraid to talk about it you know that kind of thing like i feel like those are all really positive messages that kids can glean from this like right at, right there on the surface mm-hmm. do you have anything uh you want to add other than a a, a monos, you know monosyllabic sound <laughs> well i just like that they did cry in the movie and they were sad and you know um i in my class and earlier in the semester we had to do an exercise where we wrote out like a condolence card to Uh someone because Americans are so bad at talking to people when they're grieving. Oh yeah. It's a cultural thing. We just like, you know, we don't know. We can't. I think culturally, I I feel like we've, we've pushed that emotions are bad. Yeah. Like they're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to feel bad. You're not supposed to be sad. You're supposed to be happy you're supposed to be you know strong and it's like i don't i don't think that's healthy um i went for no. a long time feeling like because i was a man it was wrong for me to cry um and now i mean if you've listened to this podcast you know i talk about crying all the time i talked about it earlier tonight and i don't cry at every movie but there are things that really get to me um and i'm not ashamed of it anymore and i used to be i used to be really really ashamed and i still don't like to ball like i try to control that but i'm not afraid to cry yeah yeah Um, (laughs) um, i so i just i was agreeing with you and Mm -hmm. i don't i just think that it's very interesting to see like those differences in culture and you know yeah well one of the things i really like about his movies um because this is technically anime um but when I always think anime, I think like Naruto and Dragon Ball Z and um, Bleach, which was really popular when I was younger. But I never got into any of those. Um, I tried Dragon Ball Z for a while, and I'm gonna I'm sorry, listeners, if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, but uh, I only watched it when Cartoon Network was running it, like in the early 2000s, like 2001, 2003, or something like that. Um, and 
it, it just it took so long for anything to happen ever like i swear i don't feel like i'm exaggerating here but he would start to do like a fireball type thing and it would take like six episodes he would still be just posing and like charging the fireball and you hear like his inner monologue like what's going on out there and i'm just like what's going on why is this taking six episodes like i got no time for this um, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I am exaggerating, but that was my memory of that show, and it, I don't get how you can sit through something that takes that long to happen. But, um, so, this type of anime, though, is, uh, it's still got some weird things to it, right? Like, the cat bus. Um, and there's some weird stuff, for sure, uh, in Spirited Away, but I like a lot of it. Even, I, I like cat bus, even though it's weird, like, I do, I do like it. Um, I like Totoro a lot, though, I really like the art design for Totoro. And, um, I don't know, I want to watch more of his, his work, I need to really dive in, and, uh, and, um, 90%, I think, I think until, um, the most recent release from Studio Ghibli, I think they've all been hand-drawn. Um. Oh. And that's, it, like, really, really cool, because that has basically been phased out of American animation. Um, I think the, uh, on Moana, the tattoos on Maui, I think were hand-drawn. Um, but I think everything else is computerly, computer digital drawn. Um, and that is my understanding of hand-drawn. It is a physical hand-drawn, not just drawing on a tablet for a computer. Um, that is my understanding. If I'm wrong, I am not claiming to be an expert on animation. But from what I have studied, that is my interpretation of the definition of hand-drawn. It is on paper hand-drawn. And Studio Ghibli, most of their films have been done that way. Um, and they look amazing. They still, like, the look of this movie, it looks a little faded, like, from, like, the 80s, but it just looks fantastic. I like the scenes in the forest a lot, um, mm -hmm. and I love the camphor tree. Is that the big like, tree? The huge tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I thought that that was just so beautiful, and I love the color green, so there's that. Some of the way May moved, especially when she was on top of Totoro, uh, she looked like a frog to me. Like, um, and especially there is a frog character. There's a lot of like humanoid frogs in Spirited Away, and she resembled some of the uh, the looks of them. I thought um, not a lot, but just a little bit. And I was like, oh man, that's weird. I wonder if that's intentional. Um, but I wonder if like if we. I would like to see more every year. I want to go to the Ghibli Fest and. They always sell out of, like, the Fest tickets, where it's still a little pricey. It's, like, 60 or $65, mm -hmm. but cheaper than paying 13 or $14 a movie ticket, and Movie Pass doesn't work for those, so. Um, but I feel like when we watch more of these, um, I wonder if we're going to find other things like that that kind of piece all the movies together. Yeah, I, I definitely think, um, I would say without question that uh, um, he's an auteur, and this, he's got a very mm. distinctive style that comes across. Um but I think that's all I have to say. Um, I gotta, I'm gonna go on a limb here though. I, even though I think the plot's simple and it is meant more towards kids, I still think this is a must-see movie. I think this is one of those. Um, it's setting up like a legacy. I think you know you need to see them all. Um, or, yeah, like movies you can grow up with, and there's mm -hmm. gonna be one for all the stages of your life. And I, 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 while I've only watched this the one time, I feel like in a rewatch you will pick up on some other things and some little nuances, especially, I think, watching some of the other ones and then coming back to this one, you're going to see those patterns that you were referring to a moment ago that um, will make this even more valuable and meaningful um, 
of a film and again it's just joy it's a joyous animated film it's fun there is like there's that those heartbreaking type moments but they're they're treated so well and so um care with so much care you know uh it's just it's great i i really really enjoyed it i don't know what what rating do you give uh my neighbor totoro i give it must see film there it is folks we both go with must see um and you must watch spirited away Corey, as soon as possible or how's moving castle i guess since you have that one but um do you know what the movie is called that we're watching next week because you picked it and i don't remember what it is (gasps) i might get the title wrong but the last unicorn that's what i thought it was but i was i was hesitating um the last unicorn folks another animated film it is another animated film i'd never heard of this until Corey brought this to our attention which apparently though i should have heard of this um the last unicorn is from 1982 the year i was born folks um and has a crazy voice cast jeff bridges mia farrow um angela lansbury alan arkin and that's where i start to not know these people but tammy grimes robert klein christopher lee Definitely know Christopher Lee, uh, Keenan Wynn, Paul Freeze. I mean, just some big names right at the top. Though Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, crazy. Um, directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Um, it looks. I am. Very I am apprehensive. 80s. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's um. You know, I was like, I did a little bit of research of like '80s movies, and now I'm afraid that I've seen this before when I was very young. I am not sure, but I'm afraid that when I watch it, I'm gonna be like reminded. But a lot of people really love this movie. And well, I am confident that I've not seen it. Um, although some of the artwork looks like Lord of the Rings uh, animated or The Hobbit animated. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. it's the same people or not. Uh, but um, oh, and it's on Prime Video. Oh, I, I'm totally right. The director produced The Hobbit cartoon. So, oh, nice. Um, oh, but he also did something with Batman and Robin. What the crap? Oh, he did the soundtrack. That's interesting. Um, oh, in Bad Monster Party, I've been wanting to watch that. He was a producer. Ah, well, he did not direct The Hobbit. Oh, he did. He directed The Return of the King, and he also directed Jack Frost, the TV movie. Not um, the, not the Michael Keaton one. Oh, he did direct The Hobbit. Um, wonder... so that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I remember watching The Hobbit in my English class in like sixth grade, um, when I was I a kid. Yeah, we I think my teacher opted to show us the movie instead of reading the book. But uh, uh good job, teacher. Um, whose name I don't remember. But uh, so the premise is a brave unicorn and a magician fight an evil king who is obsessed with attempting to capture the world's unicorns. Okay, um, it's gonna be great. Yep. I I am I don't know it has a 7.5 IMDb user rating but there is no meta score. Um Yeah, that's what we're going to be watching next week. Um I don't, And then John never lets me pick another movie. No, no. I don't I don't know what it is uh available to watch it on. Do you know is Oh, it, it says it's on Prime. Well, I don't know if it's free or not on Prime. I think that it is. Well, it uh, says included with Prime. Okay, great. So if you have Amazon Prime, it looks like we can watch The Last Unicorn uh, for free. 
If you would like to, uh, email us your thoughts on The Last Unicorn or this episode or any of the movies that we've watched at contact at BerkReviews.com. That's contact at BerkReviews.com. You can also uh, reach out to us on social media. I'm at BerkReviews and Corey. At Corey R. Star, two R's on the end. And while I can't promise that I will take a billion pictures while I'm at, in New York, I will be taking pictures of myself and David at uh, Tribeca Film Festival in New York City. Um, I'm looking forward to um, hopefully meeting some New York-based critics and uh, maybe some of the actors or directors. Um, hopefully going to pull in some new people for top five movies and get some new interviews coming up in the near future. Um, this past uh, Thursday, our summer movie draft episode dropped uh, for top five movies. So if you haven't listened to that yet, it's a great way to find out what summer movies are going to be coming out. And uh, it's a game that we play. Last year, Corey, myself, and Mike played. This year, we added two guests, uh, Craig Seibert from Music Musing Podcast. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Music Musing underscore. And uh, Matt Hudson, who I do a podcast with called Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. It's a monthly podcast where we review the big movies of that month. But um, Matt also uh, runs a website, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at WIWT underscore uk and on twitter on instagram he's what i watched tonight um those guys joined us we drafted the movies and we're going to be all summer long competing uh where the lose the winner gets to make the losers watch any movie that they've seen in their life um good or bad bad. yeah they can go if they want to be nice and encourage us to watch something that uh no one has seen in the group they can do that or if they want to torture us they can do what sean did when he's making us watch Boo 2, Medea's Halloween, which I still have not watched yet, but... No, I'm, I still need to watch it. I feel have... like we should we should just rent it together. I don't feel like it's... Oh, I own it, us. Corey. I own it. Oh, that's right! I don't have to spend any money. That's right. Okay. It, it lucked out that he picked a movie that I was given by Regal Cinemas. Um, so, <laughs> one that I would never watch, but, you know, I it was to get Jigsaw. Actually, it was kind of the worst of the deals, um... Because no, I, I don't think I, I really like any of the movies that I got. Although Hitman's Bodyguard is funny, I guess. But um, this year, it started with Truth or Dare. I'm going to get Truth or Dare. I'm going to get uh, Breaking In, which is a new Gabrielle Union movie where she has to rescue her kids from like a her... I think it's her father's house that they're at. And it's like got all these security measures and these people break in and then like lock her out of the house with the kids inside the house. So this Breaking In. terrible. It, it looks all right it does ultimately seem terrible but then this is where it gets kind of interesting um wait hold on i'm forgetting one of the movies well oh uh the first purge is in this group which i like the purge movies for the most part i especially like two and i kind of like three one irritates me even though ethan hawk um is great but then um down the road there in october the Halloween reboot slash continuation, which is supposed to be Halloween 1 and 2 will be canon. All the other Halloweens will be wiped off, and this will be Halloween 3, essentially, although I don't think they're going to call it 3. Jamie Lee Curtis returns to the role. Oh, yeah. And it's written by Danny McBride and whoever his collaborator is, whose name I don't know, but I apologize. But So you're going to get all four of those movies if you see them all at Regal Cinemas with your Regal Crown Club card. And while Regal is not a sponsor, I like getting free digital movies, even if they're not that good. So, um, I will own Truth or Dare, and that makes me sad. But I think that's a good ending point for the podcast. So, follow us on social medias. We'll be back next week with our review of Last Unicorn. Corey, have a good week. 
Thanks. You too. Have fun at Tribeca. Thank you. And folks, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs> <laughs>